Douglas County is the one that I missed. So we have a lot of land that we cover. We have about 450 employees. I'm sorry, we have about 750 employees. 450 of those are professional maintainers. And those 450 professional maintainers are responsible for about 4,100 lane miles. So if you break that apart, it's about 100 miles per person that they're responsible for maintaining, um, inspecting for guardrail and safety critical repairs, such as potholes, trash cleanup, um, sweeping activities, and so forth. We have 56 local agencies. Denver obviously is one of our biggest constituents. And we really appreciate the partnership that we have uh, with your staff. We meet regularly with um, the director of DOTI as well as the DOTI staff. Uh, and we have within our 750 employees, we've got five engineering programs. We have North programs, Central, South, West, and Traffic and Safety. Central program is the one where Denver resides. So our central program engineer, Tony Brindisi, is the one that generally engages with the Denver staff on engineering projects. Um, we also have two maintenance sections, section five and section nine. Denver resides inside of section five. So today you'll hear from um, our um, deputy superintendent from section five, Alex Boucher is here with me and uh, Angie Drum is our Deputy Director of Traffic and Safety, and you'll hear from her today as well. All right, so a little bit about Region 1 and some of the things we've got going on kind of a, from a higher um, level, and then I'll dive into some of the specifics, some of which include projects in the city and county of Denver. So in uh, tw um, 2023, we advertised 27 projects, totaling about $246 million. So we have a big project portfolio. We have a lot of dollars that are going in and out um, on the ground. From August 2023 to about June of 2024, we plan to advertise another 23 projects, totaling $409 million for construction. Um, so large project portfolio. This is one of our larger ones due to a couple of our major projects we have going on, including the Floyd Hill project on I-70. Um, and then just kind of for a final number, if you combine those, another, you know, a total of 655 million over the course of a couple years. So we are busy trying to make our roadway network both um, improving it for multimodal accommodations as well as just trying to keep a state of good repair as our infrastructure ages. Some of our major projects that we have going on in Region 1, I-70 West Floyd Hill from Veterans Memorial Tunnels to Floyd Hill. So if you ever drive I-70 for skiing, this is a large corridor for commerce also coming in and out of the city of Denver. Um, really, there's a bottleneck that creates heavy congestion. There's also some aging structures at the bottom of Floyd Hill, kind of right by the Two Bears um, restaurant. And so this project will uh, alleviate some of that congestion by providing um, a toll lane option for a reliable trip. It will also start to separate some of the grade um, challenges that our freight trucker community have mm -hmm. with climbing out of the canyon. So you, you get a lot of weave and a lot of turbulence with trucks trying to climb the hill and cars trying to get around the trucks. So we're really excited. This project is well underway. And I always take the opportunity, if you ever drive I-70 skiing, we do have a text message, 21,000 and if you text Floyd Hill, all lowercase, you'll get regular project updates because we do have 
um, traffic holds for rock blasting over the next several years. And it's unpleasant to be stuck in those. It is about a 20 to 30 minute delay in your trip. So um, I always just want to try and advertise because a lot of the people in the Denver metro area travel up and around and through Floyd Hill. Um, Eisenhower Johnson Memorial Tunnels, they turned 50 years old this year. It's one of our critical pieces of infrastructure in the state of Colorado. It is the way that commerce gets to and from the east and west side of Colorado. So we've got a lot of really phenomenal projects um, as we bring that facility a little bit nearer into the 21st century. The I-270 corridor, um, I-25 to I-70, we're looking at replacing the aging infrastructure along that corridor. Uh, we have bridges that are regularly um, closed for emergency repair. Our professional maintainers are out often, you know, in the middle of rush hour trying to fix potholes. Um, and that also, that corridor, you know, touches a piece of Denver on the east side, kind of near I-70 near Quebec. So we're excited we're doing an environmental impact statement with some heavy um, coordinated community outreach to that community to see what types um, of improvements make sense. We're really trying to look at, as we're looking at you know, replacing the aging infrastructure, how we integrate and weave in uh, mitigation measures that the community would like to see. USX and Wadsworth Boulevard interchange, uh, that's an old uh, interchange. We did our environmental analysis on that in the early 2000s, and that is under some early construction right now. So Sixth Avenue is also kind of a main vein in and out of Denver. And then specifically, um, our region-wide arterial bus and rapid transit that will add five new BR corridors by the year 2030. And I have a specific slide on that that I will um, turn the floor over to Angie Drum, Deputy Director of Traffic and Safety, and then we'll move on with some other topics after that. So a little bit about BRT. Thank you, Jessica. Um, Angie Drum, Region 1 Deputy Director of Traffic and Safety. And most recently, we added a small team uh, for bus rapid transit implementation. Um, so what is bus rapid transit? Well, it really kind of gives a feel of more, um, you know, a rail-like element, or it has more rail-like elements, and it's high-frequency um, bus. And so basically, you know, when you have, instead of like a bus stop with, you know, just the, you know, RTD, like post and a bench, it really kind of gives more of a station feel. Um, other elements are, you know, you has like fare on pre, um, sorry, pre-boarding fare collection. Um, and then it also has like ITF elements that kind of give you the signs of when a bus is coming. Um, and so it just gives its, it's more high quality uh, feel for it. Um, and then we are, we are working with uh, Dr. Cog, RTD, um, Denver in particular, and other locals on moving a few corridors forward. And those of particular interest to Denver would be Federal Boulevard and um, Colorado. Um, and so we are, we have, we are under design. Uh, we just started, I should say, 30% design and our environmental clearance for uh, Federal Boulevard. Uh, we have been working closely with uh, City of Denver staff um, with that. Um, and we are just getting underway with Colorado Boulevard. Uh, we do currently have a corridor study uh, going on for that corridor. We have also been working with with staff on that um, 
and we really look forward to sort of the continued partnership and moving those, uh, those projects forward. Um, the map on the right uh, basically shows that in, in green are the anticipated uh, BRT corridors. And so when you, when you take those corridors and you take, you know, you overlay that with um, our fast tracks, the RTD fast track system and other systems, that the goal is to really have an integrated uh, transit network in which, you know, someone can come from, um, you know, Colorado Springs into Denver and then maybe even head up to the mountains if they, if they so choose, all with transit. Um, so that's the ultimate goal. Bus rapid transit has been talked about in the region for a long time, um, and we are excited to be able to help uh, move it forward. Um, I will give it back to Jessica. Great, Jessica Nickelbest. Uh, one of the other projects that we're really proud of that is near Denver would be our Region 1 Met West Metro bridges replacements. So we have about a $500 million need for bridge replacements in Region 1 alone. And this is really due to our infrastructure just kind of aging over time. Um, our infrastructure gets hit a lot harder than some other states just due to our heavy winters that we have, heavy snow and ice, constant um, snow plowing and treatment with products as well as you know freight a lot of these corridors including i-70 have heavy freight which just puts additional wear and tear on the infrastructure so we've been really proud to be able to accomplish several structures uh, the i-70 and 32nd avenue structures which is the orange box there that is also the pictures on the right the top is the demolition of the structures if you've ever are interested in coming to see a bridge demolition. We also did the Alameda bridges in Denver. Um, it's really interesting if you ever would like to come and watch, uh, we always welcome observers. Um, and then the bottom is the completion of those 32nd Avenue bridges. Those are in Wheat Ridge. Uh, those, the good thing about these smaller bridges is that we can get in, we can get them repaired and replaced in a generally smaller timeframe as compared to some other larger infrastructure projects. So that project started in February of 2022 and it was done in fall of 2023. So the bridges were demolished and replaced. Currently under construction, the I-70 and Harlan uh, bridges are currently under construction. We have one that's been demolished and almost is fully replaced and we anticipate end of construction fall of 2024. Um, close behind those, the I-70 and Ward Road, those are sister structures. Uh, the westbound is currently demolished and the eastbound will be demolished soon. They're working on reconstructing those. We are looking for funding for I-70 and Colfax structures. Um, and so those are in final design. So you'll continue to see construction along the I-70 corridor, kind of in the western portion of Denver, um, out west as we replace this critical infrastructure. So as Chair Sandoval mentioned, this is a project, I call it our tiny but mighty project. Um, on the left-hand side, you'll see the picture of the existing wooden noise barriers, which I'm not sure they qualify as barriers or noise protection anymore in their current state of disrepair. But we did, um, we were able to secure funding, which was phenomenal. And so phase one of that project is done. That's the right picture. And if you drive that corridor now, you'll see that a portion of those noise walls have been replaced and we just broke ground for phase two. Phase two will pull out the remaining noise walls, the remaining wooden fences, and we'll replace them with this similar concrete panel. 
So really um, a major investment in that portion of I-70. We just had a resurfacing project in that portion of I-70 from Wadsworth to I-25. So the drive is very smooth. As part of this phase two and why we didn't do the noise walls together um, is that I wanted to, <laughs> we decided to replace the guardrail along that stretch of I-70 as well. So once these noise panels are done, you'll have a newly resurfaced corridor, new guardrail that's up to standards and new noise wall protection. So it's going to look and feel just tremendously different and hopefully really makes a difference for the community along that corridor. All right, so one of our major items that we have, 450 of our staff or so are professional maintainers. So I'm going to turn it over to Alex Fouché, um, our um, super, or Deputy Superintendent, and he's going to talk about the hard work that they do and some of the challenges specifically that we face as an agency and specifically um, within Denver as well. Uh, good afternoon, I'm Alex Boucher, Deputy Superintendent, Region 1, Section 5. Today I'm just gonna be going over maintenance operations. Uh, section 9 actually has the uh, tunnel operation. It's a 24 hour operation. Um, snow fighting operation, plowed and sanded, uh, 1,035,000 uh, 1, miles we did in 2003. Strike 2,642 lane miles. Um, nighttime brooming, 6,500 miles. Um, potholes, replaced 20,399 square yards. Debris removal, 18,358 cubic yards. Debris was removed. And incident response, we have 86% of all incident response across the state. Region one. Homeless camps, um, we do have three internal contracts that we use, a couple of different um, contracts that we have with IGAs with different entities, Aurora, Adams County. Um, the ones that we don't have that agreement with, uh, we use our internal contract service. We take those as they come in, prioritize them, um, schedule them. Every day, the guys are out there working with another homeless camp. This is an example of the one over by, um, I guess this is the Sand Creek. Um, it looks like this is 2.67 tons of debris was picked up and disposed of. Quebec and Northfield. That's a hot spot. It's probably filling up now as, as we speak. <laughs> so, but we'll keep visiting that and put it in the rotation. Um, IDIQ, indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. Uh, that's a contract that we use for um, medium to uh, small to medium projects for surfacing of asphalt. It's from anywhere from 250 to a million dollars. Um, there are some cost savings there due to um, some of the engineering um, items that we don't have to do with those contracts. So for to fill in the holes of the bigger pro projects that we do. Um, Last year we did six projects plus these two here, 040A. Um, that was in region or section nine. So I wasn't involved in those ones, the ones I am now. 285D was another one that they did. Um, we have probably five in the works this year. Two will be in the spring and the rest of them will be in the um, fall. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and have Andrew step on this one, thanks. Hi, Andrew Drum, um, 
Region 1 Deputy Director of Traffic and Safety. So I wanted to talk a little bit about a pilot project that we did um, that was, we referred to it as Smart, Smart 25. Um, and what it was, it was a, it was a pilot project we did a couple years ago, and it was specific to northbound I-25 from Ridgegate to University, so about 14 miles, and it was 18 individual uh, ramp meter or entrance ramps that were metered. Um, in addition to that, we had three new freeway to freeway ramp meters at, two, at I-225, C-470, and E-470. And the purpose of the pilot project was to demonstrate the Australian managed motorway concept in, in Colorado. And what that concept is, it's a coordinated ramp metering system that optimizes the flow um, among the entire route. So in this case, it would be among the 14 miles. It helps to uh, optimize that flow by detecting what's happening on I-25 and then the ramp meters uh, respond you know, accordingly to that. So it may hold a little longer on one ramp meter and maybe go a little quicker um, on a, another ramp metering. And it does this by um, using a really advanced uh, detection technology uh, that was installed along that corridor um, and it's just, it, it's really geared towards responding to the conditions of uh, I-25. Um, and so the, the goal of that and what, what the Australians have, have shown is that it improves throughput, travel time, and reliability on, um, you know, in their system. And we did actually see some of that benefit on I-25. Unfortunately, when, <laughs> when the pilot project you know, we're in the midst, uh, you know, 2019, we're like running heavy with it. We're gonna get it uh, implemented and then COVID happens, right? So we, we delayed the project. Um, and then of course, as we saw with COVID, it also changed some of our travel patterns. Mm -hmm. but, but even with that, we did see a benefit when the system was uh, turned on and in pilot mode. So overall, we saw a 14.3 uh, on average decrease in travel time for the PM peak period. Um, overall, we saw a 19% reduction at the height of the PM peak. Uh, we saw an average re reduction in uh, the 95th percentile for travel time over 20%, so that's about 5.4 minutes uh, that we saw from an increase in travel time reliability. Um, we saw an, a decrease, uh, sorry, Total travel, sorry, total daily travel delay reduction of about 827 hours, which is about a 42% decrease. Um, and it also it improves safety by reducing the, the um, basically the formation of, of bottlenecks. So we saw enough of a benefit to explore, okay, what else can we do? Can we expand the system along I-25 to really, really get the benefit? Um, and so we're looking into ways of, you know, is it is it this? Is it something else? Um, and so we're hoping to um, make some progress with uh, bringing a coordinated ramp metering system to uh, at least to 25 knots or more region-wide. And then back to Jessica. 
Jessica Nicholas, Director for Region 1. Um, one of the points I just want to add on the ramp metering pilot project, one of the core reasons we started looking at ramp metering is our understanding that we can't widen our way out of congestion on I-25. It's a very constrained corridor and we've got to figure out some ways to move people or adjust the flow of traffic along that corridor. So um, Angie's team has done a tremendous job. It's gonna take all kinds of things. It's going to take BRT, it's going to take unique and creative pilot projects that we can maybe make permanent as well as other ideas that are coming forward. So we're gonna continue to look at how we can address the congestion on I-25 without a widening system. So um, lots, of, lots of things coming forward on that corridor. Um, seeing that Region 1 goes peaks to plains, we go all the way from the Eisenhower Tunnel all the way to Castle Rock and all the way out to Deer Trail um, on I-70. So one of the things uh, we deal with a lot is wildlife movement and connectivity, which maybe in Denver we don't have as much of, but uh, we did just uh, win a grant, which is the little green symbol there from IIJA, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. We won a $22 million grant. It was the largest in the nation to build an overpass down um, south of Castle Rock, kind of in the I-25 area as you're traveling south to Colorado Springs. So this will be a large wildlife overpass, one of the largest in North America. So it's just one of the other things that we have going on in our extra diverse region with projects. So we, we manage wildlife, we manage movement and mobility of people, we manage roadways um, and all kinds of things. So I just always like to highlight this project. We're really excited that we won that grant. Um, and we'll stop for questions. I also want to um, introduce um, Crystal Armandirez. She's our local um, agent legislative liaison and she's the one who helped kind of organize the meeting. So she's available for our question and answer session as well. Thank you so much, uh, Jessica. I know that President Pro Tem and Ludi uh, Chair, um, um, Councilwoman Sandoval, had to step out of the meeting for a moment. So I will facilitate our question and answer. And I don't know if we checked before to see if there was anyone um, that was online. Um, so there's no one online. And so we have a queue um, in-house and we'll start first um, with Paul Cashman, Council Member. Thank you, uh, committee chair. Um, so how do you describe the division of responsibility of work on state roads that are Denver roads? I think like Colorado Boulevard and, and, and similar, uh, who does the striping, who does the plowing, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a really fantastic question. I'm gonna um, pass that to Angie Drum and then she may also lean on Alex Boucher because it is not straightforward and it is a little bit more complex. So excellent question. I'll turn the floor to Angie. Thank you. Hi, thank you. So on, on state highways, particularly within the Denver metro area, we have what's called contract maintenance uh, agreements with uh, city and county of Denver. So um, I will speak specific to traffic, um, uh, traffic maintenance, and then um, Alex can speak to um, highway maintenance. So how do, you, how do you mean traffic maintenance? So traffic maintenance is signing, striping signals, th th those type of, of um, uh, activities. So we, we have an agreement with, uh, with City and County of Denver to maintain those items. Um, and then we 
we it's for a set amount each year um, and I don't know that amount off the top of my head I'm happy to to go back and and get that information for you um, but so we are responsible for signals specifically we are responsible for capital improvements so if a signal needs to be replaced we work with the city and county of Denver and we put in money but for regular maintenance and operations of that signal, um, Denver staff uh, take care of that. And from uh, operations of the signal perspective, that makes sense because Denver, you know, you, I would, one of your goals is to make sure that that's coordinated with, with other signals on your system. Of course. Um, and so it's just from an operation standpoint that makes the most sense. Um, and then I'll hand it over to Alex to talk about uh, traditional highway maintenance. Okay, so your question is um, the division of responsibility for the roadway. Uh, if it's an interstate, major interstate, it's 100% CDOT responsibility. Um, if it's a secondary road, state highway, CDOT is responsible from curb to curb of the maintenance of the road. Unless so there's you, an IGA. You draw the paving and that type of stuff. Yeah, unless there's an IGA with the city, which there is with Denver and a few of those roads. Um, can can you get more detailed information at your convenience on? Yeah, I have the IGAs. Things like, I assume Denver deals with potholes. On, on some of the roads they do. The ones okay. that they have IGAs on, they definitely do. Yeah, anything you can get me would be appreciated, sir. I really do appreciate that. Um, so on slide eight, and you don't need to bother to go there. It's the bridge encampment cleanup slide. You said there were like two, 2.6 tons picked up and, and taken to Northfield. Is that what I heard? No, that was removed from a homeless camp um, encampment near there. Uh, near there. Yeah, it was and, under a bridge. And so the question is a combination of where, where, did, where do you take that stuff? Do you just take it to a dump? And I'll just, my note is, I assume you deal with ton after ton of what's considered construction materials, mm -hmm. asphalt, concrete, as well as quote unquote junk. Uh, what type of efforts does CDOT make toward environmental sustainability? Yeah, it's in the contract, so it's depending on the waste, waste that's generated. So if it's something that has to be contained and sent to clean harbors or a facility that can take that kind of disposal, that's where they'll take it. If it's just general trash debris, wood, dirt, um, tents, things like that can go to general la landfill. So I assume you produce your own asphalt, your own concrete. We do not. You do not? No, Denver does that. Uh, we don't do that. We don't have a plant. I see. So you you buy materials from Denver? No, we buy it from Brannon. Um, we have a, multiple vendors that we have a state bid with. From private vendors? Yep. yep. Okay. Um, Okay, that, that's fine. Thank you so much. Thank you, committee chair. Uh, thank you, Councilmember um, Cashman. Uh, Council President Torres. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, uh, thank you so much. I'm trying to figure out from the slide on bus, bus rapid transit, the boundaries north and south of the federal BRT, the proposed federal BRT. Hi, Andrew Drum. You only have to reintroduce oh, yourself the first time that you're there, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so uh, for federal, that is actually what a really long corridor. We're looking at 18 miles in total. 
Um, and that will be from um, 120th uh, up north in Westminster all the way down to Dartmouth um, and then over to the Inglewood station. So it's approximately 18 miles. And is that all under 30% design or are you doing a section of it at a time? No, it will, the entire corridor will, is under 30, 30%. I mean, and to be clear, like we are, we're just starting the process. So yeah. we're not, like we don't have, we don't know what the stations are gonna look like yet. But yes, the goal is, is within this next year is to be complete with 30% design and, um, and our environmental clearance. Okay, um, obviously, um, Federal Boulevard is an important corridor, I think, for both of our entities, right? Um, city and County of Denver it covers probably four or five different council districts yes. um, for the city. Uh, for my section, um, you know, I've I've um, I've seen news um, and gotten word of um, four pedestrian deaths on Federal Boulevard in the last twelve months. Um, three at one intersection right by your headquarters, right? Um, right at 14th and Federal. And I'm wondering if this community has to wait for BRT for there to be, you know, real thoughtful modifications to that corridor. Um, like what what gets queued up for, uh, for CDOT side? And then I like, we can look, I, I know that our Dottie department, our Department of Transportation Infrastructure is looking at like signal timing and painting and a variety of things like that. I don't know how much of a an impact that makes or not. Like I know, I mean, two, three, three deaths took place last year spring, and then we didn't see another one until maybe a few months ago at 10th and Federal. Um, um, but these, like, this is my most deadly corridor. Um, and it's scary to think about crossing that corridor um, uh, when you have to get to human services to really like basic needs entities. So just wondering kind of what happens um, as you think about how does CDOT respond to deaths on the road um, versus how Denver might need to respond. Yeah, so this, it, your question is actually from a timing perspective, uh, really great. We. Um, Myself and another member of my team just met with a um, couple of folks from Denver, and we we want to have um, we're talking about having putting together like a little bit of of a workshop, and we're going to focus on uh, we haven't decided which corridors to focus on, but we did talk about Federal Boulevard and and okay, what can we do in the short term to uh, implement um, uh, you know safety critical items on, on the corridor that will have an impact, sort of low cost but high impact are the things that we're gonna try to focus on. And signal timing is one of those, is one of those things. Um, so I, I agree that waiting until 2030 is not acceptable. Like, are there things that we can do? What can we do today? Um, and so I don't, I don't have an answer for what those things are at, at this moment, um, but we are working very closely with with Denver and you know they, Dottie in particular, right? They have a new executive director, Amy Ford, and I know she has challenged uh, her team and and us as well about but addressing um, you know the crashes and fatalities on 
on the high injury network and many of those within the city county and Denver do occur on state highways. So we are ready to step up to the plate and partner. Okay, thank you for, for doing that. And that some of those are happening right now. And uh, like my community needs to, I think, see that that's being taken very seriously and, um, and wanting to be a part of that conversation. So however we can do that and um, uh, coordinate opportunities for them to listen in on what CDOT can change, what Denver can change. Obviously RTD has to be a major partner for bus rapid transit. Um, uh, so lots of big government entities trying to resolve something really important at, at a micro level. The only other question that I have is around funding and um, knowing that in the past I've seen statewide ballot measures fail um, that sought to fund transportation projects. How much does that affect um, CDOT's ability to uh, implement the 10 year plan to react responsibly to things. I remember, I think in 2018, two opposing ballot measures were both defeated. 2019, another effort for transportation funding um, failed. They just, like, I've not seen one pass yet. And I don't know to what extent that limits CDOT's ability to really be visionaries in the state's transportation space. Excellent question, and I wanted to, and I wrote it down because I want to add a few things on federal because we have some ongoing things that I'm, I wanted to share. So last year we finished a resurfacing, pro resurfacing project from I-70 on federal south. I forget that top limit, um, but it added in new um, ADA accommodations at um, sidewalk crossings. We added in crosswalk stripes. We also added in, I believe, some um, pedestrian push buttons as well. So that was a portion of federal in the meantime that had some things occurring. We also have a median project that's coming forward. I forget the limits, I'm sorry on that one as well, but it's within the Denver metro area on federal. And then we always look for partnering opportunities. A portion of federal in Westminster, there's a developer going in and so they actually constructed the sidewalks where there was a missing gap of sidewalks. So in the interim, while we're waiting for 2030, we are we, we do have some active construction projects that will be completed and have been completed. So we're keeping track of those as well. And we can get a list. I think we have some other things going on um, along federal in the interim as well. Um, to your question of funding, the 10-year plan, sustainable funding source, it is a challenge. Um, as I mentioned, Region 1 really could use a stable funding source for our state of good repair, as well as as we're looking at implementing new visionary and innovative ways of moving people such as BRT. So um, Senate Bill 267 really was a tremendous platform and that's what allowed us to create the 10 year plan. Um, the first kind of tranches of funding from Senate Bill 267 were very strong um, in those front years. So the 10 year plan currently is a 22, fiscal year 22 to 27 10 year plan. I think it started in um, 2018. So. Right now we're in years 22 to 26, and then we have what's called the 27 plus and kind of those out years. So projects that we're focusing right now, generally we're looking at funding those. We are leveraging the IIJA that I mentioned, and we've been successful in region one. Lloyd Hill received $100 million. Um, it was one of our largest grants that we've ever received, and that was from uh, MEGA. Uh, we got $22 million for the wildlife crossing at Genesee, and then 6th and Wadsworth that I mentioned earlier, the interchange, we got a $20 million grant 
from the IIJA. So we're really looking at strategic ways of leveraging federal dollars that are available currently to um, leverage the dollars that we have in the 10-year plan so we can spread those out further. Um, as far as a uh, you know, sustainable funding source beyond that, it's, it's a challenge. I think we're always looking at um, partnering with local agencies. Uh, sometimes local agencies will lead grant applications um, on behalf of CDOT. Sometimes we'll lead grant applications on our roadways for them. So we really try to be strategic about how we can put most of the dollars on the roads. Um, a lot of our dollars in Region 1 go to maintaining the roads. They go to, to Alex and his team. Um, and so the more we can keep money on the roads, um, the more important that is. It's hard when we have issues, you know, a homeless encampment cleanup, they, they take a portion of our funding away from the roads and kind of divert it elsewhere. So our mechanism where we hired contractors to do that cleaning actually allowed our professional maintainers to stay on the road doing safety critical repairs and letting someone else who's, you know, maybe more adept at those types of services to perform those types of services. Mm -hmm. um, the IDIQ, the paving mechanism that Alex talked about, that's a region one specific mechanism. And that is another way that we saw, hey, we don't wanna wait for a five mile resurfacing project. Our, we can go out and do a one mile resurfacing project under this contract. And again, keeps our professional maintainers on the road, but lets the, the asphalt resurfacing team go out and take care of some of those smaller areas. So we try to be as creative as we can with the dollars that we have, and we really are working hard um, on delivering the plan. Um, Federal BRT is looking at some really interesting funding. CDOT has created some enterprises. There's one called the NAPME, the, Na the Non-Attainment Air Management, I don't remember the name exactly, I'm so sorry. Um, but that enterprise is getting dollars from, um, so retail fees, delivery fees, when Amazon trucks come and deliver things to you, there's a 28 cent fee. CDOT has several enterprises. So that has become another funding source that we're able to utilize and leverage. And we're hoping to make an application um, to the NAPME committee for the BRT project. So we try to turn over every stone we can. That was a long answer, but I wanted to just kind of share how we approach things in region one. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Council President. And Jessica, if we are we love acronyms. And if you ever get stomped on one, you can always provide us kind of a breakdown of that. So I think you did a great job going through that acronym. Uh, we have uh, next in queue, Councilwoman Alvitares. Thank you, Committee Chair. Thank you so much for being here. It's so good to see you. Um, and thank you for making time to meet with me when I was first elected. So just <laughs> was hoping uh, to follow up on some of those questions. And thank you, Council President, for bringing up federal because that's super important to my district as well, as I know Councilman Flynn's and probably uh, Councilwoman Sandoval's, Council Pro Tem Sandoval. Um, but uh, I also am very concerned about Alameda, and I know I, I had mentioned this before, and right now there's an Alameda study being done by Dr. Cog, and I don't know what the results will be, but um, there's an incredible inequity in my district, which actually is part of council president's district as well. Once you get to I-25, it becomes a state highway. And the amount of traffic deaths and accidents increases dramatically. And not only that, but there's a school in my district, Valverde, which um, is on Alameda. And because it's on a state highway, the, the um, speed limit is higher there, even in a school zone, as opposed to when you go up to West Wash Park and the schools, there, um, their speed limits are lower. 
Um, so I would really like to highlight, I would like to see devolution of that piece of Alameda, as much of that is State Highway, um, because it is creating an inequity in, in, our, in my district and in our city. Um, so I just wanted to highlight that. I don't know if there's a devolution plan on any of, of these things, but I know that you, thank you to CDOT for being a partner on the House a Thousand effort, um, which is why we are getting opening a micro community soon in my district. Um, and so I don't know if there's a future devolution conversation to be had there as well. I don't know what CDOT's future plans of that area are. The only thing that was uh, disappointing about that whole situation now that we have control over it as a city is that I, I was under the understanding that we were going to get rid of the, the wooden fence barrier like you did on I-70 um, on Santa Fe and put in something more equitable and that's really actually much safer and actually will help the sound for the residents. So these new residents to the district that will be living in a tiny home are like right adjacent to the state highway. And I don't know if there's any room to work together anymore on that since we took over that. But I know up Santa Fe, that's still an issue. Um, and one question I have around that is we'll be doing like the Jewel Bridge soon, which will go across Santa Fe. And I was wondering what the communication or work together on something like that looks like, because I believe with that bridge construction that's being done by the city, there will it will affect that barrier area that's currently owned by CDOT. I don't know if you're familiar with the project. I am not okay. as familiar with that one, no. Well, I'll follow up with an email okay. about that. that. That will probably be the best next step. So I don't know, I guess I can't give you a chance to answer if you have any devolution plans on the CEDA um, roads as they are right now. Yeah, thank you, Councilwoman. And um, thank you for inviting us to meet with you in the, I think we had a phone call and then I think you, did you also visit the Alameda construction? We're, we, we said that when it was done, we were gonna do a okay. walk and maybe yes. Council President and I could both be there for that. That's down yeah. we'll on do our a, border. We'll do a ribbon so. cutting for sure when, mm -hmm. that, when that structure is complete. So a few questions and if I miss one, um, let me know. Uh, so the Alameda study that Dr. Cog is doing, I actually was at the Dr. Cog uh, Regional Transportation Committee yesterday and they did talk about that study. It sounds like it will be done in the summer and CDOT has had a role on that committee sitting and really trying to work through some of the recommendations. I have not seen um, the recommendations yet, but generally a corridor plan like that kind of sets the high level vision for the corridor. What needs do we have for the corridor? And then we start to dive in on those project specific um, items. So some of the things that are recommended kind of in the CDOT portion would come forward. Uh, the amenities along the Alameda Bridge that's being replaced are a tremendous improvement to what was out there prior with nice wide um, sidewalks and ADA accommodation both on and off the bridge, although it, it stopped shortly after the bridge, obviously more work to be done in that space. Um, familiar definitely with the, the challenges of mobility along Alameda, we actually did a walk roll um, I want to say a year and a half ago in the middle of winter, it was snowing and we had a large group of constituents, um, including some um, in mobility devices, actually go up and down that corridor and experience the challenge of trying to, um, you know, navigate the cracks and the curb cuts with a wheelchair. And I think it was really eye-opening for a lot of the people that were on that tour, but it also really brought to light the challenge of that infrastructure. Uh, the age of that corridor is challenging because once you start to touch the pieces of sidewalk, the utilities are sitting there. So we wanna be really thoughtful, at least in the CDOT portion, when we go forward, what that looks like so we can properly estimate um, the cost for that. As far as devolution, and let, let me just explain that terminology in case not everybody's familiar with the 
the term devolution. We also call it sometimes abandonment. And that is when CDOT is the owner of a road and we determine that we really just do not have interest in that road anymore. It really benefits the local agency or local community to have that road under their ownership and purview. We do what's called devolve the road. And there's a process that we go through um, to kind of analyze the condition of the road, analyze the elements of the road, and then we'll turn that road actually usually pay the local agency to take that road away from us and then it becomes yours and we don't do anything with it anymore. Um, the current devolution that I've been working uh, with Dottie on for quite some time is Colfax, where you're gonna be running your BRT. You're doing a full reconstruction of Colfax in that space to begin with. So we still have some, some additional steps to do and quite a few approvals, but that's our, that's our top priority devolution currently is to be able to turn that ownership of that BRT corridor to Dottie so you can make decisions on access and stops and signals and all of those things. It'll be in your community and that will be such a tremendous asset. You should be able and be the main decision maker for those types of things. Um, we haven't talked much about Alameda and devolution, but we can, we can certainly look into it and see what those opportunities would look like. Um, the micro community along Santa Fe, that was a, a quick process. And so um, we actually had, before we knew the micro community would be present, we have engineering plans to replace those sound walls. I dedicated some money to do some nice concrete barriers similar to I-70. The challenge right now with the micro community is they're kind of in the construction footprint. We can't physically, we don't have the space to construct and get the footers of a permanent concrete barrier in. So I believe that Denver went out and replaced the wooden structures, which hopefully are in better condition than the prior ones. I haven't gone to see them. Um, we're actually meeting tonight and uh, they okay. had, have not, had not done that last I checked. Okay. And okay. they were saying they were trying to come up with some sort of plan. So I'm okay. assuming that now, now that's kind of off the table, even though there's already money allocated for that. Is that the case? I, the region has allocated money for your permanent fence, the permanent wall, the permanent concrete mm -hmm. wall but just the proximity and how the micro community was kind of laid out so quickly, we, we, we can, we're, we're looking at it, but it's hard to fit with the residents actually in yeah. place as we're constructing. Yeah, that, that's great. I will take a look and maybe we can follow up afterwards okay. because I think that even the residents there would benefit from it rather than the noise <clears throat> and danger of being so close to a state highway. Um, and then my other question, is what is CDOT's relationship with this potential new rail? I can't remember what the rail is called, but the one that's supposed to go to from Fort Collins to Pueblo, Colorado. It would that be under rail? Yes. Yeah. So front, front Range Passenger Rail District is um, separate from CDOT, but we do have a CDOT representative on it. We also have Division of Transit and Rail, and that group is run by Kay Kelly, and the person underneath of her that runs kind of the bus and rapid transit and is really diving in deep with rail conversations is um, Paul... Rocher. Um, and so the region is not doing a tremendous amount of work with Front Range Passenger Rail. They're kind of their own entity where the region will come in to support uh, is if the railroad needs to replace a crossing of one of our roadways or replace a structure, like Alameda would be example into Burnham Yard. Maybe that structure, that portion of Alameda needs some remediation to actually come up to standard. So we're not, as a region, intimately involved with the day-to-day -day of Front Range Passenger Rail. That, that is part of my concern with the rail project is 
um, the status of those bridges, because I know you mentioned bridges, but I think that was just for vehicle bridges. So the train bridges, I'm curious because I actually got stuck in Pueblo when the bridge collapsed on South I-25 because the rail, do you, the train rate derailed. And I'm curious, did it end up being, I think there was a conversation that that was CDOT's bridge or it was a railroad's bridge. And how can we use that experience to make our railroad crossings in District 7 um, safer? And I think they also go through District 3 and probably District 9 as well. So I can't speak on behalf of the railroad, but CDOT structures are um, inspected, I believe, every two years, and they have a rating of um, good, fair, or poor. And um, actually, our maintenance teams get um, reports for essential repairs. So we don't wait till the bridge is in disrepair. Uh, we catch things, you know, if there's concrete spalling or if there's guardrail that needs replacing. Um, those essential repair reports go to Alex and his team, and then they go out and do those intermediate repairs. So. It depends on the rating and the scoring of the bridge. Uh, we are, you know, discovering it's it's easier to keep a fair bridge in fair condition than wait for a poor bridge and replace the whole thing. But we do um, inspections regularly. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, I, and I think my understanding is that the rail is only regulated federally. Is that the case? Um, that sounds correct. But I am <laughs> I am not yeah. an, at a day-to-day -day table yeah. with the rail team. Well, if you could provide any contact, because there's sure. also an, one thing that's also happening in my district is that my predecessor um, and my neighbors worked really hard to get access across the rail for some of the neighborhood. At, and that was kind of a community benefit to one of the developments. And so I'm trying to see that through, but kind of mm -hmm. running into some barriers. So thank you. I know that's not necessarily your scope, but thank you so much for being here. I thank Council Pro Tem for bringing you in here. And that's all my questions for now. Thank you, committee chair. Thank you, Councilwoman Alvarez. And um, I think we have the, the capacity to work collaboratively through our means to, to get some of those real questions, the very important questions that Councilwoman Alvarez asked. Um, and there were several very specific CDOT questions. And uh, I am certain for all of those, you'll get back to her. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, Councilwoman Alvarez. And Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Uh, thank you, committee chair, and thank you to the CDOT team for coming to make the presentation today. It's been really helpful and informative. Um, I think uh, much as everyone else has been talking about, you know, the, the, the streets or the highways that go through their districts, um, in Southeast Denver, we have Hampton um, Highway 285. And I think one of the things that we really struggle with is um, just how much of a highway it is and runs through um, the neighborhoods. And so what I hear a lot from constituents is the difficulty crossing, um, whether it be from down where Hampton turns into Havana, um, that is just like, you know, the speed racers go all the way and it's just a, it's just a little super highway. Um, but Hampton and uh, Tamarack is probably one of the most dangerous intersections that we have. Unfortunately, we haven't had the you know, um, traffic deaths, but there are regularly um, accidents um, that happen and people are broadsided. Um, so that is just something of, of interest um, in, uh, in Southeast Denver. And then on the other side of I-25 in Hampton, turning up on Ivanhoe and Holly. So as students are going to um, Thomas Jefferson High School, that is another area that we have a lot of uh, teen drivers and parents trying to get their kids to school on time and the going up and exiting um, has just been 
I think, an issue for, for a long time. And so I'd love to be able to work with you and Dottie to be able to figure out some sort of solution that works. Um, I hear from a lot of parents at the school that that is of, of top concern. Um, my two questions are a little bit different. The on-ramp um, portion that you had talked about, uh, there are five on-ramps that run through the district um, in Southeast Denver. And I noticed this in my district um, uh, on the on-ramps and I see it in other places as well. Is there a strategy in place to also educate people what the purpose is to stop at the lights? Because I think they're now seen as a suggestion or maybe just I'm gonna beat the light or eventually it will happen um, more and more. I don't see people stopping at the lights. And so um, I see all the data behind it and what the effort is, but um, I don't see it. I don't see people stopping. If you're comfortable, I've heard speed setting come up twice. So I may, I'd, I'd love to have um, Andrew Drum with traffic and safety just talk a little bit about how we set the speed limit on roads and how do you change a speed limit or how, what is the purpose? How do we come to the speed limit that exists and then um, address the ramp question if that's all right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Jessica. Um, yes, yeah, so, you know, traditionally with um, uh, speed setting, um, traditionally we have done an approach of the 85th percentile, right? Mm -hmm. So you, we, uh, in order to change the speed, we are required to do an engineering study. Um, and that study, uh, what we do is we, we go out and we collect the data, right? And so, so that is, what are people driving at? Um, and so um, historically, and of course you take the 85th percentile of, okay, 85% of the population are driving on that road at X speed, um, but that's not the only thing that we look at, right? You take into account what's the geometry of the road, you know, what's the context of the road, things like that. Um, we have, so that's traditional, right? Mm -hmm. what's, what, we, what we did. Um, we are moving toward a, uh, a system where we are allowing, um, and it's, it's a pilot system right now that we're, that we're using for speed, for uh, taking a look at speeds. Um, so we, we, of course, take into account how people are driving on the road. But in addition to that, we are really taking more consideration of the context of the road. Mm -hmm. What's the development? What's the pedestrian activity, um, things like that, where, um, and, and so we're trying to equalize I, those um, um, areas, you know, whereas I feel like in the past it was predominantly 85th percentile, maybe with a little bit of context. Um, and so we're trying, we're trying to even that out. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy to, to take a look at the Alameda section, uh, the state highway section. Um, and, and we don't have to, in order to change the speed, typically what we do is we wait for, we work with the local uh, jurisdiction. Um, we get an official request. So we would get like a letter from um, city and county of Denver. Um, and then we would conduct a speed study. Um, but what I'd like to do is, is maybe just take sort of this pilot project that we're looking at, okay, and, and applying it to 
Um, I think you mentioned Hamden, and uh, we can talk about mm -hmm. uh, some of the- Hampton you know, and Tamarack in particular. Yeah, Hampton so, and, uh, you know, I'd like to go offline and kind of yeah. get a little bit more information sure. um, and, and talk about the, um, the milepost limits and things like that, and, and just kind of do a test. If we ran it through the system, what would it be? Um, so happy to have more conversation about that, um, definitely. You. And then your, oh, the uh, ramp meter yeah. and uh, education, right? Um, so that's a good question. <laughs> and so when we were doing the pilot project, we did do, we really ramped up education on that. Um, uh, so we, we can always go back and do a, even though we're no longer within the pilot, right, we still have ramp metering, and mm -hmm. it, it does serve a purpose. And so that is something we, I can take back to our PI team and just, and maybe it's just a little campaign that we do or it's a news release that we do. Um, I mean, they are technically, you know, they are regulated signs, mm -hmm. so someone in theory could get a ticket, not that that's the highest priority yeah. for any of our law enforcement. Um, but it's always good to just sort of educate people about why it's there too and, and the, you know, the benefits of ramp metering because I don't know that people intuitively know that necessarily. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation and maybe we just kind of push out some, some information on, on the benefits of ramp metering and, and why we have it. Yeah, I think more and more I'm just noticing that, um, again, I think there are still people who stop at the meter and who do wait for the light and, um, and go through, but it just seems more and more just of a suggestion at different times of day where um, oftentimes I don't think that the lights are really being, um, that people are not stopping at the lights. So just, it, just a yeah, noticing. And, and if you notice that like our, our, our ramp meter is on and you're like, why is it on? Mm -hmm. It seems like we're free flowing on I-25, like, yeah, let us, let us know because chances are like, it's, oh, yeah. so, you know, we have to take a look at, mm -hmm. at something because it shouldn't be on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and then I don't know if this falls under CDOT, but the Adopt-A-Highway program, is that a CDOT initiative? It is, and it's run out of our uh, headquarters um, group, our Division of Maintenance and Operations group. I don't know, do you have, do you know? Yeah, so happy to take some, some questions. We can get you some information. Great, I can follow up offline, but more than anything, I think, um, I remember that we used to have a lot of the signs and adopt a highway and, you know, people were going out and occasionally you'd see the bags and, and what have you. Um, I do get a lot of feedback and I think, you know, everybody notices we just have a lot more like trash on the side of the road, a lot more debris um, and, wondering how we can, you know, encourage people to go back to an adopt a highway or find a way that we can um, support kind of cleaning up our roads and um, and not only on the highway, but also, again, a Hampton or, you know, some of our other larger roads, Evans, et cetera, um, for where we have a lot of, it just, you know, trash and debris that's building up. Yeah, so we're, we're happy to follow up. Uh, we'll get you some more information and, and the point of contact um, as well, who runs the program. Um, and I, I guess I would need to educate myself also uh, on sort of the outreach that the program does um, 
Um, I'm just not sure, but we can get you some more information. Mm -hmm. And then just one last, more of a comment. I think um, one of the, and I think we're figuring it out, but one of the challenges that we have is, you know, people will call 311. It is because, um, you know, there might be somebody who's unhoused, sleeping under the bridge. Whose jurisdiction is it? How does, how does that get resolved? Um, the picking up the trash at the intersections of Hampton and I-25, Hampton and Evans, Hampton and, or excuse me, I-25 and Hampton, I-25 and Yale, I-25 and Evans, et cetera. Um, I think that those are the things that, I, I think it's improving the coordination as far as like who's, who, where does it, where, where, who do they need to contact and how does, um, how do those issues get resolved? But those are um, calls that we get in our office often and people are often unclear as to, you know, who should they call and what should they do for those side, what is it, um, the CDOT uh, right away on the sides as well. So just if we can um, continue to partner and figure out, you know, how we resolve those issues, that would be great. Yes, uh, I think we continually work on, on you know, right, developing the relationships. And I know like, we've had a lot of turnover or, uh, and same with, you know, city and county of Denver. Um, and so we're always working on sort of developing those relationships and, and sort of reminding ourselves on, oh wait, who, what area is that? Is that ours? Is that, so um, absolutely, um, you know, we're always willing to, to meet and, and develop relationships and get clarity it's great. It, we ben we all benefit from clarity on whose responsibility it is, and sometimes there are some gray areas, but communication is key. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that, and I can send you um, just some additional thoughts on that as well. Great. But uh, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, um, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. And I've got to say, uh, for Denver City Council, as you can see, we. We're making up for lost time. You haven't been in front of us for a while. We could go on um, all afternoon on this. I'm looking to see if there's anyone else. No one else is an accused. So I have just two quick questions from you, for you. I, I, you don't have to respond to each of them, but uh, I know you've heard the questions from my colleagues around um, high injury streets that are happen to be CDOT uh, streets, um, uh, federal, obviously, um, as we looked at Colfax. Um, I know Colorado. I'm curious um, if there is a mapping of high injury streets, if you share um, the similar mapping that Dottie has, so that we have a familiarity of how you're coordinating with each other on those streets. Um, um, don't really need a response per se, but maybe my office will reach back out and out of a level of curiosity as to how you coordinate um, shared um, uh, opportunities on some of these high injury streets and some of those solutions that you're doing in collaboration with Dottie and other um, um, local partners. Yeah, we can actually take a stab at answering that right yes. now if you'd like. Um, I'll let um, Angie as well answer, but this is why our relationship with Dottie is so critical. We've really, one of my priorities for the region and the team is that we make time to get together with the Dottie staff. Um, so Angie meets monthly with um, just the specific kind of traffic and safety folks at Dottie. We meet monthly with the leadership team from Dottie. I try to meet at least every six weeks with the director of Dottie. So we really try to keep those relationships and conversations going. I know also our central program engineer, Tony meets with uh, your engineering manager. I think they just had happy hour last week for, he said it went for a couple hours. We were just 
talking about all of the different initiatives that we have and things that you're doing that we could do better and things that we're doing that maybe Denver could do as well. So those relationships are really key, including data sharing. So I'll let Angie um, answer the question about the high injury network mapping. Yeah, so um, specific to uh, like data, sounds like that's. So data and also the, the mapping could be simply kind of a pin. It may not have all, because we can get the background data from Dottie. We know which one of our streets in our neighborhoods are considered high injury and they communicate those to us. I was curious on that collaborative process that Jessica began speaking to. And is there a mapping that you do as an overlay of the work that Dottie is currently doing for high injury streets throughout um, our uh, Denver County that impacts our districts? Yeah, so specific to sort of the, the state highways that yeah. are within your, the city and county of Denver, we do have on CDOT's website, happy to share that um, link. Um, we do have where you can look up um, what we call like a level of uh, level of safety service. And so, and then you can kind of dig down and in, in, into some of that, that data. Um, we get our data probably similarly to how everyone gets their data, Dr. Cog, whether it's Dr. Cog or whether it's the city and county of Denver, right? We get it through the official reporting stream of the Department of Revenue. Um, and so sometimes that data can be a little bit delayed, the official, like the official record. Like I, you know, I know, um, you know, what, you know, how we're doing, you know, in 2024, but some of that data isn't official um, because of police investigations uh, and, and, and other things. Um, and so we are, I think we, we really have good data when it comes to fatalities mm. and, um, you know, understanding uh, circumstances, Al albeit, you know, it's, it's, you know, based on the officer's report and, and the situation at that time. So we might be missing some, some context, but generally it's really good data to understand, you know, why, why it occurred or, you know, why a crash occurred and, and what happened. Um, I think where the serious injuries, which um, for calendar year 23 in both statewide and in the Denver metro region, region one, we while we saw a decrease in fatalities, our serious injuries did go up quite a bit. Um, and so um, that takes a little bit more um, digging into the circumstances of, of those crashes because the, the reporting isn't as rigorous as it would be, and understandably so, um, you know, for, for a, a fatal crash. Um, and so we're, we are always looking to collaborate and, and get um, and understand more about, about uh, the occurrence of crashes, particularly when we start to see a trend. You know, is there a stretch of road in which we, you know, we've seen, um, you know, 10 in the last, five years as, as an example. Um, I think one of the things that CDOT could, could do better um, is uh, more collaboration with the, the local PD. Um, because, right, those are the first responders. You know, they are, uh, you know, responding to the scene. They get to see firsthand on, on, um, the, on the crashes and, or 
you know, not even just crashes, but like just, you know, by per, uh, patrolling what's going on on the streets. And so um, that has been a conversation that I've had with um, the Dottie team recently about, you know, increasing, I'm sure they have a great relationship, right? Denver Dottie and, and DPD. But I think sometimes it would be good for us to hear that as well. Um, so I think that's an, an area that we can improve. Thank you so much, Angie. I have just two quick questions. Um, the, the one um, final one, I-70, we share that obviously with Councilwoman Sandoval. Um, I know that your team, um, many of the folks within CDOT work collaboratively with neighbors in Globeville, Lear, Swansea, specific to um, air quality, air quality monitor monitoring. Without going into details, because we've had many years of communications out as to what is occurring, can you share just very high level when it comes to air monitoring and impacts to communities around I-70, specific to Globeville, Lear, Swansea, what information you may have as far as how that participation is going, how um, if you are from your internal review of, of air impacts to community, um, if there's anything you can share today. And if there isn't, um, my team will circle back with you. And obviously uh, it's a great curiosity for myself and the council members where I-70 goes through. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I don't have um, data today on particularly Central 70 specifically, yeah. but I can tell you that Senate Bill 260, which really addressed air quality and disproportionately impacted communities, um, an example of us being proactive in that space along the I-270 corridor, we already have air quality monitors set up to get that baseline data so that any proposed transportation infrastructure improvements we make We'll know what the air quality was, and then our job is to make it better than it was when we arrived on site. So I've heard positive things about the Central 70, the monitoring and the availability of the data, um, and I can get you some more information and a link to the website. And actually, Central 70 has their own team, and even though it's in Region 1, there was a Central 70 team, and so there's a communications um, gal that I can connect you with, and she'll have real-time information. Perfect, and we should have a, a close relationship because yes. that is a, a very important dialogue our communities yes. have been having for, for a decade, two decades. And so I appreciate that. So I'll, I'll end with a softball, Pena Boulevard. Uh, so curious as to anything on Pena specific um, to CDOT, as far as access or anything, I know we had a few uh, briefings, updates. Once again, if you don't have that information now, know that it is a curiosity and interest to, uh, to understand uh, CDOT's role and how you're communicating um, to all of our communities, obviously impacted by DEN, impacted by um, safety in and out of a growing airport. Actually a CDOT facility. Um, so where we would become involved is when Pena ties into I-70 and you need to do sure. interchange modifications. I-70 is our facility. So we do care about what Pena is doing and touching and changing that access to I-70. But as far as Pena, all you. you see, I told you it's a softball <laughs> because it's not yours. It's just your connection it is, to I-70. And, uh, and I do want to please yeah. let us come back again before yeah. it's been 13 years where we're always happy to come and give a presentation. That's an awful long time between visits. Well, we promise you, you'll be back sooner. Um, and so thank you, Jessica. Thank you to each of the leaders that came and spoke to us. We appreciate your information and your collaboration for you being here today. Seeing no other items except for a few consent items on the agenda. Um, if there are any questions from council members, uh, please send those to Melissa. Uh, other than that, we are adjourned. Thank you so much, everyone.